welcome. It's good to have you here tonight. Uh, it's always a blessing to be able to celebrate Christmas with loved ones, with family, especially with church family. And tonight we just want to share a brief little kind of a devotion. It's really uh, playing off the series we've been going through in Matthew. And uh, in, for Christmas we've been in Matthew and, and Luke. And tonight I just want to continue along with that. We've been looking at how the Christmas story so many times is written in such a positive um, way and it's uh, viewed in such a positive way in our society today. You know, you have the manger, you have the angels, you have all this stuff going on. And um, it's cute, it's nice. But when you stop and you look at the Christmas story for real, there's a lot of disappointment involved. Um, You had a, a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock. You had her husband finding out that she was pregnant out of wedlock. You had shepherds who left their job. Um, you had magi who um, strayed from their own religion to, to find the Christ child. You had a lot of things going on. And you think that, okay, Jesus was born. We got to that part in our series. And it's probably smooth sailing from this point out. But unfortunately, more disappointment has to come. And we see that in the scripture. And if you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 in your Bibles, or I'll just read it for you. If you don't have a Bible there, there should be one in the pew, but you can just follow along or just relax and let me read it for you. Um, There's a lot of disappointment in some of our texts tonight. Um, A lot of rejection. And we want to focus on Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, because it says there through the prophet Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This was a message from God's given prophet Isaiah to Israel. And when you look at the, the face value of this prophecy that we just read, it almost for sure looks like the coming Messiah will be a government ruler. The government will be upon his shoulders. That implies that. And that's exactly what the Jewish nation believed Jesus would be. They believed the Messiah would come and be a government ruler. Um, There was a lot of overshadowing and foreshadowing, really, of Jesus in the Old Testament. But these verses make it pretty clear that this is partially why King Herod... Uh, was so threatened, as we spoke of on Sunday, by the birth of a new king. Um, It's kind of like you're the president of the company, and somebody tells you, oh, they just hired a new president or a new CEO. You're thinking, wait a minute, if I'm the CEO, how'd they hire a new one? I guess my job's in jeopardy. Well, that's how King Herod felt. And everyone was expecting the next king. And later in the life of Jesus, though, we discovered that this this kingdom on earth was not what Jesus was about. It wasn't his target at all, even though even his own disciples thought it was. 
Do you remember how disappointed they were when he said, well, you gotta go to, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die on a, on a cross? And they said, wait a minute, that's not, that's not the plan. The plan is we're going to march into Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans and take back what's rightfully ours. You're our leader. Don't speak in such a way. And he had to rebuke several of them as a result of their attitude. But that's not what the Jewish people were looking for. They weren't looking for a heavenly kingdom. That's what Christ came to establish, but that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for an earthly kingdom. And so they were disappointed. Uh, The religious leaders were disappointed. They were disappointed even with God. And you know what? It's not an uncommon thing for people to be disappointed with God. I talk to a lot of people who are disappointed with God all the time. Um, Sometimes what we expect God to do is really the opposite of how he actually does it. And that's the kind of first point I want to leave with you. Our mind's picture of God often doesn't match who he really is. All these people thought that Jesus was going to be, the coming Messiah was going to be a a military leader that was going to be able to overthrow Rome and free him from their, their, their bondage. But that's not God's plan. Even the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the priests, they were interpreting scripture and they were making Jesus into what they hoped that he would be, refusing to see who he was. And what they were doing is they were looking for an external peace. They were looking for peace from their physical enemies, Rome. But Jesus came not to bring external peace. He came to bring what? Internal peace. Because external peace, we see this often in the world we live in, external peace can be lost in a second. Everybody's on edge now. North Korea has a Christmas present for President Trump. What is it going to (laughs) be? It's going to be a missile? What's it going to be? We don't know. Why? Because they're looking for external peace. And they realize with one little push of a button, that external peace could go right down the drain. See, external peace can be lost in a second, but you know what? Nobody can steal that internal peace that Christ gives you because you've trusted in him for your salvation. Nothing. It's what we really need. They were looking for external salvation from the Romans, but Jesus didn't come to bring that. Instead, he came to bring internal and eternal salvation, salvation that lasts. He ushered in a brand new covenant for his people, with his people. And this covenant would eventually bring that external salvation and that eternal salvation that really won't be fully realized by us until the end of the age when Christ returns for us and we're with him in glory. And, you know, a lot of times when God doesn't behave the way we want him to behave, sometimes we can grow angry. We can grow, have an attitude of rejection toward God. Um, We can desire to try to control God. See, it's many of those things that, God's people did in the Old Testament and even in the times of Jesus. And we still do it today. Others, however, decided really to 
to shift their perception of God. To look, step back and honestly look and assess who God is and what he was doing through the ministry of Christ. They acknowledged that Jesus was meeting a deeper need, deeper than anybody could ever meet. He was pointing to the fact that none of us could possibly be good enough to satisfy the perfect standard of God that he requires. You know, in the time of Christ, they asked him, well, who can be saved? What's the standard? What's it take to be saved? And Jesus said, well, you have to be perfect as my father's perfect. (laughs) Well, that disqualifies about everybody. (laughs) That's why we need salvation. That's why we can't save ourselves. You can't do enough good in this world. You can't feed enough hungry stomachs. You can't shelter enough homeless people to increase your standing before God. You can't do it. And so he provided internal and eternal salvation for us through Christ. He provided it through forgiveness. He provided it through his mercy, his grace. And we, we get the peace of God as a result of that. When our assumptions of God don't match what he actually is, our, responsi- our responsibility is not to get angry at God, but to change our perspective of who God is. <laughs> we need to step back and say, well, maybe I had a wrong perception of God. Secondly, our disappointment doesn't mean that our dream that God has given is, is dead. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23, It says in verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14, it says, And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt. I mean, they're going on one journey after the other. She's pregnant. They're going on a journey. Now he's born. They've got to take this young one on a journey. And it says that he remained there until the death of Herod. Remember, that was the king that was jealous that a king was going to be born. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, remember they came and They said, oh, yeah, we'll come back and tell you when we find him what they never did. He became furious, the Bible says, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in that region that were two years old or under. I mean, can you imagine that? Infanticide. A slaughter of innocent children. According to the the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. In other words, he kind of realized, well, they saw the star. Here must have been when the Christ child was born. So I'm just going to wipe out all these children in a two-year swath of of time. That way I'll I'll probably uh, wipe out this king. Verse 17 says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentations, all the mothers Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But verse 19 says, But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Once again, you see God intervening in the life 
of this young couple, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that uh, Archaeus was reigning over Judah, Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city of Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Once again, you see the providential hand of God in the life of this young couple that's just trying to trust God each step of the way. And see, because Herod wrongly assumed Jesus posed a threat to his kingdom, and the Magi didn't fall for the trick that Herod was trying to lay for the the Christ child, telling them where Jesus was, He ordered the slaughter of all these children. And then Mary and Joseph warned in a dream. They returned. They escaped to uh, Egypt and then warned in another dream. They came back. And so you look at this, this Christmas story and you see the hand of God moving, fulfilling all of his promises to Mary and to Joseph. And the child was miraculously conceived, heralded by the angels, visited all these by important people, the Magi. There were dreams, there were visions, all confirming the promise that God gave his people. And living in this situation, though it probably was very difficult for these people in this Christmas story, I'm sure there were times when even Mary and Joseph doubted the promises of God. I'm sure there's times in your life, in my life, when we doubt the promises of God. Life just gets too hard. And we find ourselves questioning, what is God doing here? And they saw the miracles, but they also saw their circumstances. And their circumstances seemed to overwhelm the miracles. And I think sometimes, even in my own life, it's, it's amazing how quickly we lose sight of God's promises to his children. It's a great example of how things can seem impossible. It can seem like your vision for life, your dream, whatever, has just, just shrunk up and died. Yet, God can resurrect anything and everything. If he's given you a promise, he can fulfill it. It might be that that dream never actually died. Maybe we just assumed it did. Or it might be that that God will do the supernatural and resurrect the dream. The way it happens, though, might not look like the way we think it should look. And throughout Scripture, we see how God works always in ways that we don't quite understand. He gives a promise, he confirms it with signs, and then he seems to disappear. And every time God plans something big, there's a time when it appears his plans have changed. And in those times, it's up to us as individuals to trust God, to trust his promises, and believe that he will come through, even though we can never still see it as something that's possible. God wants to fulfill his promises to us, beloved, in his own timing, in his own way. He's not a divine Santa Claus that listens to our every little whim. It's not because God is fickle or he likes to mess around with us, play games with us, but it's because God has bigger 
purposes for his promises than what might appear on the face value of it. More happens than just the fulfillment of a promise. You've probably seen that in your own life. When God makes a promise to you, there is always a deeper purpose in that promise. When the promise is removed from your sight, it doesn't mean it's gone. It means God is working on it. He's preparing it for you and you for it. God honors his promises. The third point, quickly, I want to leave with you is our bad experiences aren't beyond Jesus' ability to relate. Our bad experiences aren't beyond Jesus' ability to relate. In John chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, it says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, speaking of Christ, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive them, re- receive him he be- and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, listen to this, not of the will of the flesh, nor, it even says, of the will of man, but of whose will? It says, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Father, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, Jesus was born, beloved, humbly into the very world that he had created. He is the creator. He stepped down, he took the form of a a low-level member of society. And he lived among us for 30-some years. Some individuals rejected him. Some slandered him. But there were some who accepted him. There were some who acknowledged who he was. And throughout his life, Jesus really experienced everything that we experience, yet without sin, the Bible says. He was born to imperfect parents, I mean, think about it. The parents of Jesus even lost him one time. Can you imagine? They lost God. Where's he at? No, he wasn't lost. He was in the temple teaching. But, I mean, can you imagine the fear? in Mary and Joseph, where's our son? Um, Christ was lost. He was, in, in that sense, by his parents. He was disrespected. He was rejected. Christ was tempted by Satan himself. He was accused of things that he, he never even did. Yet in all of that, he never strayed from perfection. He never once sinned. The good news for us is that no matter what we go through, no matter what you're going through tonight, no matter what pain, no matter what anguish, no matter what struggle, struggle no matter what temptation you're facing, Understand that Christ understands it. He, he's been through it. I think it's just a, an important thing that we remind ourselves of. That Christ wasn't just some being that came down here and lived 30 years, a life of perfection without being tempted, without seeing the unjust all around him. He experienced everything we experience on a daily basis, yet without Sin. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Undercover Boss. 
but it's a show where the boss, the CEO usually of the company, goes and acts like he is applying for a job at one of his stores, and they hire him, and they don't know who he is. And he gets to see things by taking on that role of just a low-level employee that he would never see as a CEO. And, you know, really, that's what Christ did. He came down here on earth, and he took on human flesh. And everybody says, well, why, why would Jesus come down here and do that only to, to die? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it does when you realize that God cannot die. And yet, there was a sacrifice that was required. And so what had Jesus had to do? He had to take on a human body so he could die for our sins on Calvary. And you know what? Instead of condemning us immediately for our sin, what does Jesus do? Jesus offers us grace. He offers us God's unmerited favor. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't get saved by taking communion. The only thing that can save you is the grace of God. And all you have to do is just cry out to him. It really just calls on us to to cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Acknowledge that you've fallen short of God's standard of perfection. Is there anybody here that's perfect? I don't think so. We've all fallen. We've all sinned. The Bible uses that word in a myriad of ways. And so God allows an avenue, a path, for us to respond to his gift of salvation through Christ. And that path is called salvation. He promotes us to a place of a a family member. We're no longer an alien when we come into Christ's family. We have, the Bible says, an inheritance. We have a title. We're called a child of God. We're called children of God. I mean, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he responded perfectly in every situation. But not so he could look down on you and say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you perfect like me? He responded perfectly to provide you hope. Throughout his life, he, he shows us that there are hidden opportunities, even when things look hopeless. And his example is that there is always a better option than what is obvious at first. We just have to continue to learn from him, to lean on him, to walk in his steps. Becoming a Christian is simply accepting Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection as a means of salvation from sin. It doesn't mean we're free from disappointments or difficulties. We'll have lots of those in our Christian lives. We'll have struggles. But it does mean that we have an advocate. We have somebody who stands in the gap for us that can sympathize with us. And not only that, but he's also powerful enough to do something about it. You know, there's one thing when people say, oh, you know, I really feel sorry for your situation, but they don't help you. But it's another thing when someone who can help you, has the power to help you, feels sorry and sympathizes with you. When we're disappointed by life, beloved, we can rely on God. And when we rely on him, we have the opportunity to gain a new understanding of who our God is. And we can trust that he's working in the background for a bigger purpose. We may not see it right away. But he's working, even when it seems 
that it's impossible for his promises to be fulfilled. I pray that this Christmas season, you'll look at Christ in a different way. This isn't about a religion. It isn't about joining a church. It's about knowing the Savior in a personal way. And he desires to be known. That's why he came to earth, born of a little baby. Grew up to be a man, only to die on a cross for our sins. We're going to celebrate our communion time here after a song. And when we do, this, this table is special for those who know Christ. It, it means a lot to us as believers. Um, there's nothing holy about these elements. It's just a cracker and some juice, grape juice. But what it represents is very large. It represents the, the, the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we have our communion time, um, if you know Christ, if you've trusted him for your salvation, if not, there's still time to do that even now. You just cry out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sins. He'll answer that prayer when it comes from a sincere heart. But this time here is, is for those who have trusted Christ. And there's no judgment here going on. If, if you feel it's inappropriate for you to get up and, and partake, that's fine. Just sit there quietly, listen to the, the music, watch the video that we're going to be playing. But ask God, what's the message you want me to take away from tonight? Because I, I don't believe you're here by accident. I think everybody's here uh, for a purpose. And so I pray that you would be willing to listen and to yield your heart to Christ. Um, but after the... Uh, the, the song we're going to sing, we'll have our communion time, and we'll just ask you to leave your place and walk up here and, and take a cracker and a, a thing of juice back to your seat. And then you can just pray with your family or your friends, whoever you came with, or you can pray by yourself and just partake of those elements um, on your own. And we'll give you time to do that. And then after that, we'll uh, light our candles and sing uh, Silent Night. So let's uh, pray for our communion time. Father, we thank you for... Your word, we thank you that, God, you are a God of hope, that, Lord, you provide salvation through Christ and Christ alone. Lord, it's not through a church. It's not through some religious thing that we do. Lord, you're a very personal God, and you desire to know us personally. It's all about knowing Christ in a personal way, and he desires to be known by us. That's why he came to this earth as a little baby. And so, Lord, we pray for those of us who will be participating in communion time that you will help us examine our own hearts. And, Lord, your word says that as, as often as we celebrate communion together, it's always a time of introspection. It's a time where we examine our hearts and make sure that there's, there's no sin there that we have not confessed. And Lord, we know that you've forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. But, Lord, sometimes we... We hold on to things we shouldn't be holding on to. And so, Lord, this is a time where we can give that up to you. And just uh, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your restoration. And we pray, Lord, that you would just bless our time of communion together as the body of Christ. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.